Well, we have been studying a very interesting subject in the book of Romans, and uh, we've talked about Romans chapter 1, where Paul talked about the judgments of God against sin, and he said God would judge all sin. And then when he went into the New Testament, I mean the second chapter, not the second chapter of Romans, he talks about how that God will judge even those who are under the law and who sin. In other words, sin is sin, whether you're under the law or you're not under the law of the Old Testament. Now, when he says under the law, he is speaking of the law of Moses, and he's referring specifically to the, to the Jews or to Israel as a nation. And there were many Christian Jews, or I shouldn't say many, there was an element of Christian Jews who became Christians, but they felt like Christians should first embrace the law, and then they embraced Christianity. And Paul knew by the study of the Word of God, he was a very brilliant man, and the Lord had given him numerous revelations and understandings of the Scriptures. And uh, he, he knew that the gospel, praise the Lord, uh, was that the law was fulfilled in the spirit of the Lord. And therefore, if people would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they would receive then that law that was under Moses, they would receive that in their hearts. He understood that. And so he said if they have the Holy Spirit, then they have what God wants them to have. And it, uh, is, it is far above that which the law can give. He talked about the law, the law being the letter. He talked about the Holy Spirit being the spirit. Praise the Lord. The spirit is greater than that of, of the word. The word is written on stone, he said, and the law is written in our hearts. Praise the Lord, by the spirit of God. Now, when he says the spirit, he's not talking about a vague, uh, a vague understanding of the mind of, about things. But he was talking about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost that's in us. That is a, the Spirit of God, and there is only one Spirit. By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. And by that Spirit of Christ, praise the Lord, Spirit of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, that Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, same thing. <clears throat> are we all baptized into one body of Christ? <clears throat> so Paul talks about how that we should have that Holy Ghost in our hearts and lives. And even though uh, people can be under the law, the law does not supersede that that the, that the church brought by having that of the spirit of Christ brought through the church, I should say. And uh, I'm going to go into chapter 3 because he goes a little further into these things and talks about them a little more extensively. Uh, before I do, I want to read the last two verses in chapter 2. We've just concluded with chapter 2. Chapter 1 is that about God would judge all sins. Chapter 2, he would judge all sins, even those who are under the law who sin. Because there were Jews who said, if you're under the law and you obey the law, even though you sin, you're okay because you're under the law and you are Jews and you are of Abraham. And that was a statement that those Pharisees would use with Jesus sometimes. We are of Abraham. In other words, we're God's people. I don't care what we do that's wrong. We are God's people and God's not going to, you know, get rid of his children. Well, the Lord, of course, did put them into... Uh, captivity and put them in exile, actually, uh, when they established the church starting in 70 AD. I won't get into that part of it, but nevertheless, this is what chapter 2 was uh, quite a bit about. Finally, he concludes in verse 28. Look very closely here with verses 28 and 29 in the book of Romans here. He says, for he is, and he brings out something here about how that 
The spirit of God is what makes us Jews, not the letter of the law. Look at what it says here, verse 28. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither that uh, neither is that circumcision which is outwardly in the flesh, verse 29. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Now here he's talking about those who have the spirit of God in them which is one out inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. That means the word itself, just the word without the spirit, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Praise the Lord. So he says that it is Jew. We are Jews inwardly. So if anybody asks you, are you a Jew? You can say, yeah, I'm a Jew. We are spiritually Jews. Praise the Lord. In that sense of the word, which means we are of Abraham. And we are of Abraham through faith. Now, Abraham was the father of all Israel. Listen to me closely on this. Abraham was the father of the Jews, right? He is the father of uh, all Jews, the Israelites, so forth. Same thing. And uh, he is also the father of the church because just as Abraham was the father of, of Isaac and Jacob and the, and the flesh, he was also the father of faith. And we are the children of faith. So if we are saved by grace and that through faith, then we are the children of faith. And if we're the children of faith, then we're the father of, we're the sons of Abraham because Abraham was a father of faith with the children of faith. Do we understand that? So that it is through the spirit and so forth that we come in that manner. If you remember, there was a time whenever the Lord told Abraham, said, Abraham, I want you to look at all the sand on the seashore. Look at all the sand on the seashore. Can you number number it? He said, no, Lord. He said, I can't number it. He said, "Uh, so shall thy seed be. Then he said, look up in in the heavens. Look at all the stars. Can you number the stars? He says, no, Lord. He said, so shall thy seed be. Now, the sand of the seashore represents his natural children, his natural uh, descendants. But that that's in the heavens represents the spiritual. Praise the Lord. So through Jesus Christ came the church, amen, the sons of Abraham in that fashion. So when the scripture here says these words, for you're not a Jew, uh, you're, he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. It goes on to say, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly uh, and is of the heart and, of the, and in the spirit. Praise God, not the letter. Now, I'm going to read another verse of scripture that sort of goes along with that when found over here in Philippians chapter 3. And verses 2 and 3, this is a verse of scripture where he is speaking here to the Philippians about the same situation. And he was, he's referring to the Jews who are Christians who are trying to say, you've got to go back and fulfill the law to be the Christians you should be. Uh, I'm not going to go back into this again. I just want to tell you this before I read the scriptures. And that is, if you recall, Acts chapter 15, we talked about it in a couple of our lessons previous to this, how that Paul, when he had had all of these Gentiles get saved, he went to Jerusalem, appeared before the apostles, all the apostles, all the elders, and the church of Jerusalem, which at that time, so history tells us, numbered about 25,000 strong. Of course, he didn't appear to all of them at one time, but he appeared to the leadership of it. And he told them, he says, this is what's happening. 
the Jews, the Gentiles are all getting saved, filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God's work and miracles in their lives. They get, they repent, they get baptized in Jesus' name, they are filled with his spirit, they speak in other tongues. And Peter vouched for that and said, that's right, that's what happened to me when I went to Cornelius' house. And, you know, while I was yet preaching to them, the Holy Ghost fell and they spoke in tongues, just like we did on the day of Pentecost. So what they have is the same thing we have. Okay, so they vouch for that. So then when they got through hearing all that, Peter says, I don't think we ought to lay any of the burden on them about keeping the law and the, all the ordinances of the law and everything that goes with the law in the Old Testament. And then James speaks up, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and who was also the half-brother of Jesus in that he was the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus was not the son of Joseph directly, as you know, the son of Mary, yes. So this was James, a very important person, a very uh, respected apostles and the pastor of that church in Jerusalem. He spoke up and he says, I wholeheartedly agree, agree with Peter that we should not bother these Gentiles, but just, you know, make sure that they don't eat things, strangle and, and blood and, uh, and, and, and don't commit fornication and so forth. And then let's not bother them and let Paul do his job on preaching to the Gentiles and getting souls saved as the Lord would have them to, to be saved. And so they let it go at that. But you had these Pharisee Christians, these believers that were Pharisees, who said, no, 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 they've got to go back to the law. Now, here in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3, this is what Paul is saying. He's referring to this. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Concision. These are concise individuals. This is the only place in the Bible the word concision uh, shows up. And it means being so concise. It means being so exact. It means being so definite about it. So that these Pharisees were saying, no, there is no leeway. There is no tolerance here with these Gentiles. They got to line up with the law. And so Paul refers to them as the concision. He goes on to say here in verse three, for we are the circums, we, uh, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit, speaking of himself, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And I'll come back to that scripture in just a moment. But look at this word about beware of the concision, those who are so very exact. Now, I'm going to throw this out for what is worth for all of us here today. I think that we all have to be careful about being so radical on something. I believe in holiness. You know I do. I believe in, I believe in the plan of salvation, definitely. But there has to be with all of us a flexibility. Many years ago, I was pastoring in Port St. Joe, Florida. I was sitting in my office at the church. It was in the daytime. I was studying for probably a Sunday morning message or something. And I was reading my Bible, studying my Bible, and I read that scripture, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. I read that verse. And I decided at that moment I was going to ask God for wisdom. Just ask him for wisdom, see what would happen. You know, how, how does this work? So I said, Lord, would you, would you sort of give me wisdom? Show me how this works. You said ask for wisdom, you know. And I read that verse of scripture and I prayed that prayer and I was, had my back and my back was to a window and my face in the desk, face in the door that would go out in the vestibule. And I would, I turned my back and looked out the window and the wind was blowing and there was a pine tree out there 
outside my window that was a way out, and it was doing like this in the wind. And the Lord spoke to my heart and says, I made that tree and all trees flexible. Flexible. Okay. All right, so I learned a lesson. You know, God made everything flexible. You know, so we should be flexible. And I probably God would want to talk to my own heart. You know, I, when I was younger, I everything was going to rub about. I didn't have a lot of flexibility about myself, I suppose. I don't know. But whatever it was, God was saying, you need to be more flexible. I made the tree flexible. Because if it was rigid like that, it probably, in the wind, it'd just snap. You know, if the wind got strong enough, it'd just snap. It, it just breaks. It doesn't yield. There's no yielding to it. And I said, okay, that's good. That's good. Well, a few, uh, several days later, I was working down at Stevedore. They had a big paper mill there, and they'd load papers and send it all over the world. The ships would come in from all over the world and load up these big rolls of paper. They had big rolls of paper that weighed two tons a roll. And they, they, they sent them all over the world. They made cardboard, cardboard boxes and stuff like that out of them. And, uh, and we worked for Stevedore. Stevedore was a union. It was the best paying job in town, but you'd only work while the ships were in town, and then they were gone. Maybe there'd be two a week come in. And, uh, and I was, a, I was a part-time. They let preachers do this because you made good money, and it was somewhat of an easy job. So on this particular time, they said to me, Myers, you go up on the ship. The man running the crane could never see down on the dock below because the edge of the ship blocked it. So he couldn't see what was happening. The men downstairs were hooking on the, the catchers on to the paper. And it had to be done right. Otherwise, that big roll of paper could drop and roll and run over somebody's, even run over your big toe. It's gone. You know, that was just a big load. And so while the guy's down there, so the guy in between, he stands at the edge. He looks down on the dock and he's watching the guy on the crane and the guy on the crane's watching him. And so he gives signals like this, meaning go easy. And then whenever that load had been picked up and those men had gotten out of the way, then they'd do like this. That means take it away. And you bring it up, they bring it over, and they drop it down in a hole. Okay. So I was working up here on the deck of this ship one day. And I was, I was being, doing that job. <clears throat> and, uh, and they would come down dropping a hole. And in the hole were other guys who were taking, stacking all them rolls of paper and stuff up, down in that hole. And they had a big crew of men down there working, some on the docks, some down in the hold of the ship and everything. And so I, here I was, I was doing this guiding part. And in that ship, the deck of the ship was steel. And you could see where there was big sheets of thick steel had been brought together and welded. A welding bead had been put there everywhere. All, you know, wherever there was two sheets of steel, that's the way the ship was made all over. All the sides, the top, and this was the deck of the ship now. And I was standing there doing this, and we took a little break. And I got to looking at those wells. And lo and behold, there was two sheets of steel that had come together that was not welded all the way across the ship. And I was in about the middle of the ship. And I said to one of the guys, I said, look at this. I said, they forgot to weld the ship. They forgot to weld this. I mean, this was a boo-boo, and they, I don't know how it ever got out of port, but they forgot to weld that They left this thing unwelded. He said, no, no. That was purposely done. I said, purposely left unwelded? Yeah. 
He said, they overlap each other. He said, if this ship was in a storm in the sea and you were standing here, this is what you would see. You would see, he says, those sheets of steel rubbing each other on top of each other because they were made to be flexible. If it was not made, if they put a bead of welding down here, this ship would break up in the sea in a storm. Instead of being flexible, it would break. Now, why are you telling us that, Brother Myers? I'm saying that God wants us to be a little flexible in things. You know, I don't always understand everything. I don't ever understand everything about everybody. You understand what I'm saying? So God wants us to be a little flexible. These fellows, though, had no flexibility about them. Paul said, beware of the concision. That's the no flexibility people. Be careful about those who are so precise. In other words, they are concise. Concision means concise, definite. And so he said, beware of the concision. Now, let me move on into another area of this. For he goes on to say here, he says, uh, we are the circumcision, that is the Jews, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in the Lord. I want you to go with me over to Ezekiel here for a moment. Look in Ezekiel chapter 35 and verse 26. 35, 26. Then here's a prophecy where the Lord gave Ezekiel about the children of Israel. This is uh, 36 and 26 of Ezekiel. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. This was a promise that God made one day, I'm going to do this for you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Uh, this is not the literal heart, but this is that inward part of us in which we, you know, we are, uh, we make our decisions and so forth, our emotional feelings and so forth. He goes on to say in verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. This is the word of God. This is a promise. The Lord said, I'll put my spirit within you. Paul knew that and he knew that verse was there. And he knew, he knew that when Jesus came and the Holy Ghost was given on the day of Pentecost, that that spirit, praise the Lord, was given. And therefore that spirit would take the place of the law that was written on stone. And people who had hearts of stone, who just simply said, oh, well, it's written in stone and that's given to us and we're okay with just that. No, 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 that that's in the spirit is greater than that that's written on stone. And he goes on to say here, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you should keep my judgments and do them because it'll be in your heart. It just won't be written on stone. He also says a thing very similar to that in Ezekiel, a previous chapter, previous chapter and verse in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 19. He says this, and I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of your flesh and would give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances and do them and they shall be my people. I will be their God. Praise the Lord. So these were promises that the Lord had made. And, and, and Paul in writing to these Romans knew that and he was reminding them that they had these wonderful promises made from the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, I want you to Look at, now I'm going to go to chapter 3, verse 1. I want to get into this. And this is where Paul says, What advantage then hath the Jew? What does the Jew have that's an advantage over everybody else? 
If you say, well, they have the law and so forth, what, what advantage did they have the Jew? And what profit there, uh, is there of circumcision, meaning of the Jews? Verse 2, much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. In other words, the greatest thing going for Israel and for the Jewish people is that God committed the word of God to them. They had the word of God given to them, praise the Lord. And so they had the word of God. Folks, let me say this. When the word of God comes to us and we have the word of God, it is the most valuable, the most precious thing in all the world. Nothing can hold a candle to the word of God, I'm telling you. I'm, uh, I'm you know, 80 years old. I'll be 81 next month. And I'm at the age where that I look back over my life and I see a lot of things. And I often thank the Lord for the privilege to have been able to read and to study and to just search out the word of God. It is a privilege. The Bible said it is the pleasure of God to hide a thing. It is the pleasure of kings to search it out. And so I'm not a king and you're not a king, but it is the pleasure of kings. And so when we can search out the word or read the word or study the word, it is a pleasure that we have that kings enjoy that we get to joy because the word of God is so very valuable and so very precious. And so the word was given and committed unto the Jewish people, but God has also now committed it unto us through the word that we can read it. Amen. For a long time, you know, they tried, they tried to lock it away. You know, they put it in Latin or they had it in Greek so that if, unless you were somebody that had learned the old Greek language or you had learned Latin, you didn't even know what the word of God said, you know. And that's why Martin Luther ever changed from, and, and like he did, and, and started that Reformation process. That's why he did that, because he, he was a priest that had uh, that learned Latin, and he began to read the Word of God. And he said, "Dear Lord, we're way off from the Word. Nobody can understand the Word. Nobody's reading the Word. Those that can read it are just letting it slide." And so he said, "We're saved not by works. We're saved by grace." And so, and, and that through faith, you know. So anyhow, he go, he went from there and began to bring forth what we know today as the Reformation period of time. They began to follow with other men in the same knowledge that he had about those things. Let me move on here though. But I want to talk to you here about this thing where Paul says that the Jews had this word of the Lord. Now, Paul goes into this thing about grace. I want you to look with me very carefully here. <clears throat> Let me mention one thing about verse 3. For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Let me just say one thing to you here. If somebody doesn't believe the word of God, that doesn't change the word of God. Now, this is important because some people think, oh, I don't believe that. Too bad. (laughs) Here's the word of God. The word of God says this, oh, I don't believe that. That's bad. Too bad for you. It doesn't change the word and it doesn't change the power of faith of those who do believe. Praise the Lord. There's, there's Christian groups who do not believe in divine healing. I know for a fact they don't believe in it. They believe it all stopped when, whenever the book of Revelations is written. That was, that was, that was the final act. It was done after that. No more miracles, no more Holy Ghost given. No more speaking in tongues. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. You say, well, it happened to me. Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. But it happened to me. You can't. No, well, you're not going to change me. And I know what it does. 
Miracles don't happen. Hey, you come too late to tell me. <laughs> I've been healed. Man, I can tell you some healing time. God has healed me. Praise the Lord. I, I, I injured my hip one time. Man, for six months, I mean, I limped and walked. I couldn't walk from here to, to that back there until I had to sit down. Boy, my, my hip was bothering me and everything. I was hurting. My wife said, let's walk around the block. I said, fine, as long as you let me sit down on the curb about every, you know, from here, like from here to that distance, you know. Said, All right. So we'd sit down on the curb. She'd stand and I'd sit on the curb for a few minutes. I said, okay, I can walk a little further. And we'd walk around the block, you know, in the evening at the end of the day. And so that was about the way it was for me. And one night we were having revival service. And I asked the men, I said, would you men come and lay hands on me and pray for me? And folks, they came up and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I felt the Holy Ghost and everything went on, you know. I could get in the pulpit and, and, and do like this and I could preach, you know. But when it came to walk, just standing, I couldn't do it. And this went on that way for months. And these men prayed for me. We went home after church that night. Everything, and my wife says, you want to go for a walk? And well, if you don't mind just waiting, I don't mind. We started walking, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked around the whole block. I said, man, I don't have no pain anymore. I said, those men in our church prayed for me. I don't have any more pain. She said, well, I'm tired. I'm going inside. I said, I'm going to walk again. I'm going to go around the second time. And I did the second time. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful feeling. I said, this is a wonderful thing to be able to walk and no pain, you know. Praise the Lord. And it was. But I'm just saying, I've experienced God's healings numerous times. You have too. I've seen people healed. I've prayed for people that were healed. I prayed for a blind boy. And I, I and, and Pastor Wright up in Crawfordville, Indiana, we prayed for a blind boy one time. Blind, 12 years old. He couldn't see. We prayed for that and he was instantly healed and could see. Just and. And I mean, he jumped all up and down and started telling everything you could see and everything. The place went crazy. And the next day, forget the air condition, had to open all the windows because people outside were all trying to look in the windows, trying to see what's going on, you know. This is the power of God at work. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I'm just telling you here that this is what God can do and this is what God does do. Hallelujah. And so when you come along and you say to me, oh, oh, well, that's not for us today. You've come too late to tell me, praise the Lord. Because I already know that God does great and powerful and wonderful things. And he's a mighty God. So your unbelief does not affect the faith of God's people. And it certainly does not affect the power of God that's worked through faith. We are saved by grace and that through faith. And the power of God is is administered through that faith. Praise God. Everybody say praise the Lord. Lord. Now, I'm going to move on. I want you to look at verse 7 here with me. Verse 5, brother. Look at verse 5. We're Romans 3, 5. And now he goes into an area here where Paul talks about about grace. And uh, I want you to look at it closely here with us. He says here in verse 5, But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, and what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. I'm jumping to verse 7. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lies, or lies, he says here, 
or my sins unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? Now think about what he's saying here. And not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, which is in brackets he says that, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. Now here's what Paul is saying. He's saying here, he says, because of our sins and our sinful life, God, praise the Lord, because he has grace, great grace, his grace is amplified. His grace is exalted and therefore God is given the glory. Stay with me very closely on this, folks. This is so important in understanding about how God works and how God moves. Because what he is trying to say here, he's saying that these people who are the Jews and they're saying, you know, that, you know, you got to live by the law and so forth. He said, God can extend grace without law, without anything, because he's God and because he has great grace. Praise God. And he goes on to say this verse five, but if our righteousness, which commendeth the righteousness of God, and what shall we say is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? In other words, I speak as a man here, he says, and if God, praise the Lord, wants to extend his grace to the worst sinner, God can do that. And his grace is revealed there. It's revealed how great God's grace is. Praise the Lord. Not how good I am and how, you know, how sinless really I have been, you know, but how great the grace of God is. And now I'm going to give you another verse that goes with that. And this is actually found in Romans as well. This is over in Romans chapter 5 and, and verse 20. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense be abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And what the, what Paul is saying both in Romans chapter three and also in Romans chapter five here is I don't care how much sin there is, God's grace keeps getting greater. The more there's sin, the more the grace of God is. So that somebody said, Oh, you, you know, they can't be saved. Well, they're just too far gone. No, no, no. God's grace is greater. This is the beautiful thing about serving the Lord is that his grace is so great and powerful and wonderful and mighty so that God receives glory for his grace. That's why you and I should thank the Lord all the time for the grace of God. Grace is unearned favor. Grace is God's favor to us that we have not earned. We nothing we've done to deserve it. And I'll stand here and tell you that there is no way. There's no way on God's green earth that this old boy has ever deserved the goodness and the grace and the kindness and the mercy of God and the salvation that God has given. There's no way. It's just God's goodness and his grace. And I think you can say the same thing, you know. And so we exalt God through his grace, by his grace and for his grace. And that's why the Bible says we are saved by grace. Grace is Calvary. He shed his blood that we might be saved. I had nothing to do with that. Jesus did it all. The Bible said the fullness is in Christ. Everything is in Jesus Christ. And that's what he sort of keeps bringing out here all through these scriptures here. Paul keeps saying, it's not by 
our goodness and our actions and us keeping the law and us being able to say, boy, I was a good guy. I kept the law and everything and I'm really perfect and so forth. And there's no way in the world God could ever judge me. He goes to say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a little further on. We'll look at scriptures like that. But anyhow, nobody can be saved. No, 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 no. It is by God's grace that we are saved. And folks, that's the most blessed thing in all the world that God's given. The fact that we have a preacher gets in the pulpit and preaches, it's the grace of God. Thank God for our pastor, our pastor of this church. Thank God for all pastors. That's by the grace of God. That's right. Thank God for our evangelists who come by, come our way and preach the gospel. That's by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. Thank God for you people who provide this atmosphere. There's people that take care of the front entrance and there's people that do the music and all of this for all of us that we may have worship. Praise the Lord. Everybody feel comfortable in this air conditioned building here this morning? <laughs> you know, it's going to get hotter you know, as July and August comes, but we'll have air conditioned. Praise God, right? Thank God, you know, for all of the things that we have, padded pews. That's all through the grace of God. That's the splash over of the grace of God. The real elementary things is Calvary, the shedding of his blood, the coming of Jesus, the word of God that's given to us. Praise the Lord. These are the real heart of it all. And we are saved by grace and that through faith, that is our faith, we believe the word. The word says it, we believe it. Hallelujah. By our faith, we are, we are saved through faith. By the grace of God. He did it. He paid the price. And the grace was done. And therefore I believe and accept that. Not because I was worthy. Not because I kept the law of Moses. Not because I had any good thing about me. I was perfect Lord. That was a perfect guy. Boy he really deserves you know salvation. None of us deserved it. That's why every time you come to church we need to thank God. I'm serious. Yeah, we, we, we say, oh, well, you, God owes me a lot. No, he doesn't owe you anything. I mean, he's already paid the price, praise the Lord. The grace of God is so great toward us. All we've got to do is just say, Jesus, I love you. I thank you. I praise you. I worship you. I just want to tell you that you're so good. Look at our homes, our families, our, our uh, you know, our financial blessing. Are you glad you live in America? Boy, I do. <laughs> I've, been, I've been in over 60 countries. There's been a few times I've come back home and I almost kissed the ground. You know, I came that close. Yeah, I almost kissed the ground. I was so glad to be, be back in America. I'm serious. I still love this country. I'm glad we have the freedom. We came in here today. As far as I know, there's no Gestapo in here or there's no KGB agents in here, you know, watching us in here, you know, trying to have church, right? So I thank God for all of that. Let's lift our hands and worship God and thank him. Jesus, we love you. How great you are, Lord, your wonderful Lord and Savior, good friend to us all. What a blessing you are to the wonderful people of God. Thank you for your grace. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace, Lord. And uh, when sin abounded, the grace of God doth much, did much more abound. Praise God. I want to draw your attention very quickly. I'm moving on here in chapter 3. <clears throat> i got about 10 more minutes here. Look at verse uh, 10 for a moment. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's why we can be thankful for the grace of God. Here's what he says here. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. This is verse 11. Verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then down in verse 23, he sort of puts the cap on it. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is where everybody is. And that script, that whole thought and all these verses actually comes from a verse of scripture over here in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I remind you that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. And the book of Ecclesiastes was his last book that he wrote. He wrote Proverbs, Song Song of Solomon, and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is a wrap-up of his understanding of, of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, those three things. And he had a great understanding of it all, but when he got it all through with it all, he said it's greater than anything. I, can, I can't even begin to touch it. He said God's wisdom, God's grace, God's understanding, God's knowledge of all things, not grace, but the knowledge. These things is beyond me. Here's what he finally concluded here. This is one of the things he included, verse 7, verse 20. Ecclesiastes seven twenty, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. He came to that conclusion, Solomon now. Now Solomon, here he is, uh, he's an uh, older man in life. He's trying to wrap up all the things about that. And he has seen Israel at her apex, the greatest, uh, it was the greatest nation on the face of the earth at that time under Solomon. Uh, Solomon uh, was so wise and, and, and Israel had grown so much and was so prosperous. They say gold and silver almost just flowed in the streets. Israel was so prosperous at that time. And so it was so mightily blessed. And he was searching for wisdom and knowledge and understanding and trying to figure it all out, life and how things can be the way they are and, and so forth. And he finally came to the conclusion that, you know, there's nothing in us that's any good. Nothing in us. And remember, he was 500 years after the law had been given, and they had been living under the law all that time. And they hadn't always done it right, and they weren't doing it right then. And Solomon knew that. They weren't doing it right. And so he said, I have to conclude, there's none righteous. No, not righteous. There's none righteous whatsoever. And so all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what's the, what's the bottom line of all that, brother? The bottom line is that God's grace to us supersedes everything hallelujah and so we can don't have to say god i'm worthy of your salvation that's why these jews that came there and said oh they got to line up to the law they don't have to line up to anything all they have to have is the grace of god and that through our faith and from that comes the spirit of god in us that puts that law in our hearts not the law on stone but the law in our flesh in our hearts praise the lord that makes us want to live for god I, you folks come to church today because you wanted to come to church. You want something in church that, you know, that you feel. You, we, we, we know this, the blessings of God. And I'll tell you how you get more of the blessings of God by praising and worshiping him. Don't just come to church and be a spectator. Don't just come to church and just sit back there and play with your cell phone or what are, you know, balance your checkbook or, play games or something like that, or whisper. Come to church and say, I'm going to worship God. I'm in the house of God, maybe an hour, two hours, whatever it is. And while I'm here, I'm going to praise and worship God. And folks, the blessings and the spirit and the mighty acts of God will be in your life. 
God can do things for us that nothing else and no one else can do. Praise the Lord. And it all comes by the presence and the power of Almighty God. Hallelujah. So the Lord, praise the Lord, has given us that wonderful grace. And where sin abound, grace did much more abound. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's nothing right. So we all need the, the, the grace of God. Now, what then is the purpose of the law? Why did God even give us the law? Now, look in verse 20 very quickly here. I'm going to wrap this all up. Look in 320. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. This is what the law brought. It did not bring perfection to us. It brought knowledge of what God wanted us to do and how he wanted to be. Now, that is also mentioned over here uh, in... uh, in Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to read verse 7 here, Romans 7, 7. And it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. Down in verse 13, was then that which is made good death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that by that sin, by the commandment which becometh exceeding sinful. In other words, my sins were revealed more by the law because uh, because the law shined a little greater light upon me and I could see where I was a sinful person. But it didn't make me sinless. This is what Paul's trying to bring out. That's why he says that people want you to go back and live under the law. That's not going to help you. One more scripture here is Galatians 3, 24. Pretty well says the same thing. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Not under the law, but by faith. Verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster when faith comes. For we are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's why baptism is so important. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Amen. That's why we can say, and Paul kept saying, we are the seed of Abraham or we are the children of Abraham. And heirs according to the promise. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to conclude here by giving you this little simple illustration here. I think this best sums it up here. But what Paul brings out in the book of Romans here in this third chapter is that by the grace of the Lord, we are saved. And the law helps us to see our own condition. And it never did bring a solution to our condition. It never did bring the answer to our condition It only brought the fact that we knew we were sinners and that we needed God. Even Solomon acknowledged that over in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to give you this little illustration here. Here is a a little boy, and it's getting dark. And most of us can relate to that, boy, girl. All you women can relate when you're a little girl. And they're out playing. Let's say they're out there playing in the dirt, and they're making little boys. They're making castles in the sand and with cars and the little girls are playing with dolls or whatever. The girls are not usually as dirty as the boys are. So let's use the little boy. He's all dirty and stuff like this. It's getting dark, but he's in his backyard. His mother walks out of the house on the back porch. 
And she says, come in, Johnny. It's time to get your bath. And he looks at his hands and he says, mommy, I don't need a bath. He doesn't want a bath to start with. And mommy, I don't need a bath. Yes, you do. No, no, mommy, I don't need a bath. And she turns on the porch light. And she said, come a little closer. And he comes a little closer. And he looks at his hands and he sees the dirt. Now, that's what the law did. It showed a little light so that mankind could get a little bit of a look at himself that he wasn't near what he should be in God or with God or before God. And so the little boy looks at himself, you know, in the light. And so he understands a little bit more. Yeah, I guess I do need my hands washed. She says, come up here on the porch. Get under the light real good. And he gets up here under the light and he starts seeing himself. And then she takes him into the kitchen and there's a lot of light. And man, he really sees himself dirty. Now he knows he needs a bath. And that's really what the New Testament did over the law. The law showed some of the light of God so that man knew he needed to be saved, that he needed to do more or had to be more. And as hard as he tried to be, he could not be because it was not in him to be that as good. He could not just do it himself. But the Lord did promise the grace of God. That's why Jesus came, folks. Jesus came to bring that grace. That God's, God's goodness, his mercy, his kindness toward us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's every one of us. That's why we all need to repent of our sins. That's why we all need to be baptized in Jesus' name. The water doesn't wash away our sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's applied to us by the scriptures, by the word, as we're baptized in water. And the Lord chose water because there's more water than anything else. Amen. You don't have to get baptized in rose petals. You don't have to get baptized in olive oil. They just get baptized in plain old water. The Bible doesn't say fresh water, salt water. They got baptized in the Bible all kinds of ways. Mediterranean Sea, you know, Sea of Galilee, whatever. They got baptized. Jordan River. So all you have to do is get baptized in water. Amen. And your sins are washed away, not because of the water, but because of the application of the blood that washes away all of our sins. That's why the, Ananias said to Paul, arise, be baptized, washing away your sins. Praise God. And I'm pointing all this out to you because in the light, he saw that he needed to be cleansed. Praise the Lord. And that's what happened to you. That's why when you come to church, and the Spirit of God begins to move. You came to church feeling like, yeah, I'm fine. You get in the house of God and all of a sudden you start thinking, boy, you know, I'm not anywhere near where I need to be with God. And what happens is that that light of the Holy Ghost begins to shine on us. That's greater than that of the law, greater than that without the law. And all of a sudden we say to ourselves, I need God. Praise the Lord. And folks, when you feel that and it's in your heart, God will save you. There's a family in this church that I taught a, taught a Bible study two years ago. And they said to me, can we come to your church? If we do, can we get baptized? I said, why, sure. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear, you know. I said, if you come tomorrow morning, you'll come to church. I said, you will feel the presence of God when the preacher's preaching. And even in the worship, you'll feel the presence of God. When he's through preaching, the preacher's through preaching. I said, you come down to the altar. Now, I was the preacher. Now, of course, I was the pastor. You come down to the altar and God will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's exactly what they did. The whole family, they came, they came down to the altar. One received the Holy Ghost that morning. One received the Holy Ghost that night. 
And one received the Holy Ghost a couple of weeks later. Praise the Lord. I'm just telling you that God, hallelujah, wants to save. And he wants us to simply say, God, shine the light on me. All I need to know, Lord, is that you will let me know I'm a sinner. And that you, by your grace, praise the Lord, will save me. And that through my faith to believe in you. And that's our faith is to believe the word of God and walk with him. Would you stand with me today? And let's just lift our hands and worship God and thank him. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you, God, for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the saints of God. Thank you for the word, O oh Lord. Thank you for our time together, Jesus. We praise and love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.